Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a movie podcast for those of you who very much like us live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks like Sour Patch Kids. Mm, that's my favorite. Is it your favorite? Yep. I don't. We've never done Sour Patch Kids, have we? I don't think so. All right. Well, today, today for you, we do Sour Patch Kids. Um, as always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy. And with me, as usual, is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well? It uh, it's, feels good to have freed ourselves from the doldrums of the fall movies. Of October. October particularly, I feel like... Everybody's just like, well, we're going to do a scary movie every week, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But yes, it movies. I mean, obviously, movies work in seasons. You have the winter, spring, summer, fall, and then back to winter again. And summer's always popping. There's always something happening every weekend. There's something happening, something to talk about. And then as we get to August, things start slowing down. And then we get into September and things really start slowing down. And then we get into October and things start picking up a little bit, start picking up a little bit. And now we're in November. And now the real fun begins because not only this year, but I think the last couple of years, we're we're getting to the point now of not only are we leading up to the Oscar movie season as as we did last week, as we, we talked about last week, but this year... I genuinely think that we are seeing, and maybe I'm wrong, I haven't checked my stats here, but I think we're seeing more blockbuster-sized movies come out in this fall, winter season, this November, December stretch, than I think we ever had before. And and you might be able to run the numbers on, on that for me, but obviously today, this particular episode, we're going to be breaking down Thor Ragnarok, the third Marvel movie this year, the first year that Marvel released three movies. But, I mean, coming up, like, right on our heels, we got Justice League. We got Coco. We got Star Wars. We got Jumanji. We got, I mean, we got... Now, Jumanji is a little bit one of those, like, one of these things is not like the other. But we got some big movies coming out. Um, and I think it's going to keep us pretty busy. You excited for it? I am. I, uh, you know, we're not, we've got a little bit of diversity in there. It's not the typical just Oscar bait movies. There's a lot of those coming up. But yeah, there is. We've got, uh, we've got some diversity. I like that we're living in a world now that we didn't know we'd be in where we get a Star Wars movie every year, mm. at least one. So that's always something to look forward to for December. It's like a Christmas present. Absolutely. Uh, we've got a few comedies in there, um, some interesting potential. Uh- yeah, Oscar movies in there. We yeah. get some Spielberg coming up. Yeah, I actually really like the I Tanya. Do you like that trailer? I that, like that trailer a lot too. So that uh, and we've got, I mean, we got Del Toro doing something really weird. So we got it's, Del Toro. We it'll got be Pitch an interesting Perfect winter. Three. We got all kinds of stuff coming out: comedies, dramas, comic book movies. But today, obviously, as we said before, we're focusing on Thor Ragnarok, the third movie featuring the god of thunder in in what i feel david um has been if if we're picking out all of marvel's um core characters thor and his film trilogy probably been the weakest i don't feel like that's any stretch yeah i I would agree other than if we're gonna count incredible hulk 
Uh, well, the Hulk, but that's only one Hulk movie. So that's there's not. There's a reason uh, there's only one Hulk there's movie. A there is actually several reasons why there's only one Hulk movie. Do you know this? Number one, it's that movie wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. But number two, it's because Universal still owns like half of the distribution rights to the Hulk character. It's it's also the only movie they changed the actor to. Unfortunately, yes. Well, no, they did it for Iron Man, but it wasn't the main guy. No. They changed but, Rhodey. Yeah, but we're talking about one of the Avengers we're talking. True. But one before we get Avengers. but before we get too deep into the Marvel wormhole, because boy howdy, could we get deep into that son of a bitch. You brought up a really interesting topic and I think uh I think it's worth discussing. Um and you came to me, you know, we we're trying to figure out what oh well, we're gonna talk about Thor Ragnarok again. Do we wanna just do a state of Marvel? Which we could easily do. Um, but you brought, what was your, your idea? I'll let you, I won't take your thunder. I'll let you describe it here. But, but after seeing Thor, what was kind of your idea for how we wanted to approach this particular podcast? Yeah. So for, for this week, wanted to do something a little bit different. We talked a lot about the Marvel universe as a whole, um, from the standpoint of where we're at, you know, we talked about how everybody should be team Iron Man. Uh, we also talked about, uh, all the different movies that are upcoming and things like that. Um, so we kind of played that that card already. Um, and I think we'll talk about a lot about the future of, of Marvel when Black Panther comes out and we go yeah. and see that, which obviously is a no-brainer. That's February, um, and that's the last before like the final run. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one thing that I think was interesting about Thor is they went a lot, uh, a very different direction um, from the standpoint of the movie itself. So they kind of pivoted from the from a standpoint yeah. of the movie. And one of those things was they went with a very different outside of the box director. Mm-hmm. Um, in remind me on how to say his name, our our Kiwi Ta- director, Taika Waititi. Taika and and I'm probably screwing that up. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Apologies to, to, to Taika. Taika Watiti. I think that's right. I, I apologize to, to, to Taika Watiti. Good friend of the movie of the podcast. Good, Absolutely. Good friend. Good movie, buddy. Uh, but it got me thinking about there's been various amounts of success when indie or when blockbusters go to an indie director. Um, so I, th- I think it's interesting to not only look at some of the successes and the not so successful ones, uh-huh. but Marvel films themselves have had a, a very interesting history in the way that they've selected directors and the directors that have done their movies. So True. I think, um, for me, some of the ones that jumped out in my mind right off the bat is, and, and this would be a good example. The first one that jumped to me was Jurassic World. Yeah. Um, with Colin Trevorrow, Trevorrow, I think it's Trevorrow, Trevorrow. But you, yeah, you know. all these damn new indie directors with their—they could just get normal names. Steven Spielberg, Michael Bay, those are some easy ass names well, to pronounce. This could also play into the fact that because they're not a household name, people don't. Maybe people would. Maybe people at one point were not sure how to say it's Spielberg. True. You know, uh, but anyways, uh, Jurassic World. Before that, really, the only thing he had done is like safety, not guaranteed. Literally one little uh, quirky indie time travel movie. And they handed him the keys to not just a massive like film budget, uh huh, but a movie franchise that at one point had Steven Spielberg directing their movies. Mm-hmm. And not just that, 
they were bringing new life into a franchise that had been gone for at least 10 years, I think. Oh, yeah. So it was probably closer to 20 than it was to 10. So it was an interesting decision from that standpoint, and obviously worked out really well because we're getting more of them. Right, absolutely. And worked out well for his career because after that he went on to get did he do one of the star wars he well that's it's an interesting thing because we're going to be talking about the negatives and the positives and True. as you said i mean colin trevorrow essentially brought life back to this franchise um and the second one is being handed off to j.a bayona uh, bayona i believe who isn't i would say an indie director because he directed like the impossible with naomi watch which was had some big special effects sequences in it with the tsunami and he just did um a monster calls with Mm -hmm. uh liam neeson as the monster another sort of by no means an indie film but but these kind of more dramatic roles and whatever but trevorrow parlayed Jurassic World into Star Wars Episode Nine mm-hmm. originally, and the internet and the nerds out there, a, a lot of people, and I could we could do a whole different podcast on this. So I'm <laughs> going to try and temper it, but a lot of people didn't like the idea, and uh, kind of shit all over it, and we were signing petitions and all whatnot. And then after the Han Solo. I don't remember if it was before or after, and we can talk about Han Solo in a little bit as well, but after those directors were let go, it was around the same time when Trevorrow, it was announced that he was leaving episode Mm -hmm. nine for what amounted to he wanted to tell a story. And when these Star Wars movies come out, like ultimately the person running these Star Wars movies is Kathleen Kennedy. It's mm-hmm. kind of like Marvel. Like, Kevin Feige is the guy running these Marvel movies. Make no mistake about it. Like, he is the man with the plan, and Kathleen Kennedy is the emperor of the Star Wars universe, and apparently they butted heads. But going back to the original point, Trevorrow handpicked and made the movie with the biggest opening of all time until five months later. Sure. That's that's <laughs> huge. Um, the, another one is um, probably... I mean, you could really kind of just use Marvel and Star Wars for this entire conversation, such as the Russo brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe and Anthony Russo did Captain America Winter Soldier. They did Civil War. And now they're doing the next two Avengers movies. And those guys just did television and they did fucking you, me, and Dupree. Like, what? How does how does how do you parlay you, me, and Dupree into Captain America: The Winter Soldier? Well, I mean, you even go back to the movie that passed up Jurassic World mm-hmm. five months later, mm-hmm. and you got Force Awakens. You got going back Force to Star Awakens. Wars. You got Rogue One. Rogue One, where you had uh, Gareth Edwards. Uh huh. And actually, he he already had when he went to Rogue One, he had already made that kind of indie to blockbuster jump in doing Godzilla. Godzilla, obviously, nowhere near the level of Star Wars. No. Um, so there are you know those people that kind of do that that ladder step up, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also the ones like Trevorrow uh, that went zero to a hundred. You yeah. Know? And it's been happening for a while. I mean, obviously, people get their breaks in different ways sure. uh, and some people kind of work up gradually and some people make that jump one one other great example uh if we're going back to someone in the past that now people don't think of probably wouldn't know that this is kind of the route he went is justin lynn 
Yeah. With, with one of our favorite franchises, the, the Fast and the Furious he's franchise. He's the Godfather. He's coming back. He's coming back for nine. They're bringing him back for Fast and Furious nine. But yeah, he started with, um, I think it's called Better Luck Tomorrow, mm-hmm. which is, um, again, it's like, how did that happen? Or even, or even your girl Patty Jenkins this year. Patty Jenkins. Wonder Woman. Like, Patty Jenkins made one fucking movie before Wonder Woman, and she made it, like, 12 years ago. She made uh, uh, Monster, I believe it was Monster, with um, Charlize Theron, and won Charlize Theron an Oscar. And she made one movie, and then she got Wonder Woman. Uh, Ryan Johnson is another example of somebody who went from you know, Brick uh, to the Brothers Bloom to Looper, and now he's doing The Last Jedi. Uh, these It's super interesting, you know, but, but... It doesn't always go well, though. It does not. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and some of them, I think, are more predictable than others, that yeah. they're not going to go well. Uh, like, let's use the example of Rupert Sanders, oh, who Rupert. did nothing but commercials. Commercials, yeah. So... Obviously, and and you made this point too when we were talking about this beforehand right. about it wasn't as weird back in the day for these types of things to happen. Um, who was it that uh, Michael you Bay? Michael like, Bay. Like, like directors don't. I mean, even Steven Spielberg. Like every director starts small, but you, they didn't normally jump, make this jump so fast. And I think that's because studios were more about working with their, back in the 70s and the 80s and even in all the way into the 90s, I think it was because studios were more into working with their established talent. But like, let's take Spielberg for example. Spielberg made two little tiny short films and then he fucking like snuck his way onto this universal set and directed television. Like he directed Amazing Stories, he did Twilight Zone, he did all kinds of shit before they gave him... uh the Sugarland Express, mm-hmm. and then he did Jaws, and he then after Jaws, he never had to worry about it ever again. Sure, you know, or Michael Bay, like Michael Bay did Victoria's Secret commercials and car commercials, and some might argue explains that explains a lot. He's that he still, still does. <laughs> he's just worked those into. Maybe you know what? Maybe he said, "Look, I will continue if you give me these opportunities when I make movies. I will continue to market your products." Well, dude, in my you movies. know who loves Michael Bay besides like Chevy and Victoria's Secret, the U.S. government. Like Michael Bay, his commercials are his movies are commercials for three things: hot women, hot cars, and the goddamn greatest military on the planet. <laughs> like that. That's that's it. But he even he started with commercials, and then he did Bad Boys, and then he did The Rock. And then he graduated to Armageddon, and then he was Michael Bay. Yeah, you know. But I think you but it doesn't at, always work out. No, but I think you look at like Snow White and the Huntsman for for Rupert Sanders, actually did fairly well. As at much the box as we office. shit on it, as much as it's I, it's not hate a great it. movie. It's not, but a great it did movie. almost four hundred million worldwide. Right. And then he moved on to Ghost in the Shell, which, which did not do well. Exactly. Um, but then you get another person that came from commercials in Carl Rinch. Okay. Maybe saying that name wrong. But he did a good old Keanu movie in 47 Ronin. Mm. And, I mean, it made $151 million worldwide. Worldwide. I don't have the budget in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was a higher it budget made all than that, that money in Japan. I and guarantee you. And surprise, surprise, there is no new announced project no. for him, at least no. as of date. No. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, there's other, other ones. Um, you know, there's some that, that we found, like 
Um, Josh Trank. He's probably the biggest one. He did Fantastic Four, mm -hmm. and that was kind of a huge jump for him. Mm -hmm. In and his it, in his defense, no one's figured out how to do a good Fantastic Four. True, and I feel which like is mind boggling to me, but. He was the latest in the failures for Fantastic Exactly, Four. and that hit him a big time because he did Chronicle, which I don't know if... Have you ever seen Chronicle? I have not. You need to see Chronicle because it is essentially like Fantastic Four. It's a found footage film about three high school uh, friends who get oh, superpowers. Oh, I did see that. I did it's see that It's got Michael movie. B. Jordan yep, in yep, it. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I remember that one. And it's super dark and it's super moody and almost all everyone except for the main character, Michael B. Jordan blew up, Dane DeHane blew up. But the main character didn't blow up. That's a really fucking good movie. And then Fox, like you said, in in Trank's defense, Fox is a dumpster fire when it comes to running their franchises. Well, didn't they have? Didn't he go on Twitter basically like yeah crapping on his movie before it even yeah. came out? He was the like, "There's scene? a version of this movie that's brilliant, but you'll never get to see it." <laughs> but there were all of these rumors about how he was just a terror to work with on set, and he was just a uh, kind of entitled like. This is how it needs to be. Like he wasn't used to working within the studio confines. Like because when you're making indie films, you you are beholden to no one. You make the movie you want to make. But when you're with the studio, this is the studio's two hundred million dollars. And sorry, Josh Trank, you can't use that two hundred million dollars to make this moody ass film with our characters. And they really butchered it. And it ultimately lost him a Star Wars gig. Was the big rumors were that he was going to direct a Boba Fett movie. And then literally, I think it was D23, he was supposed to come on stage. But then like the morning of, he tweeted out, I'm super sick, guys. I'm sorry. We had some really cool <laughs> stuff for you. We're going to show it to you later. And then like two days later, it's like <laughs> Josh Trank is out. So I'm still interested to see what Josh Trank, how he comes back from this. Maybe he needs to make another indie film. So that, that, that brings me kind of around to the unique kind of route that marvel's gone right with their movies right it's it's interesting if you look at their movies and the way that they've come out so you had kind of those first tier of movies right phase for marvel. one phase one they yep. even they being disney and marvel they even gave them names um <laughs> this is you know it should be said this is the first time this has ever been done with sure, movies absolutely there's never there's been 17 of these motherfuckers it's never been done before um, and before you get too heavy into it, do you know how these indie guys get these gigs? Because I don't know if a lot of our listeners know how this happens. Why don't you Why don't you edu educate us? I just I think it's an interesting process because like you wonder how does Colin Trevorrow, who's made one movie, get the gig of directing Jurassic World? Does Spielberg just be like you? You shall be my heir. And basically, what it does is all of these studios. They put out feelers to five or ten directors or or, 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 or pairs of directors uh, because there's some brothers and some uh, like the Russo brothers and whatnot. Um, and they say, we want you to pitch us your version of this movie. And then they basically put together a sales pitch to the studio. Here's how this movie should be. Here's the tone it should be. And they use, a lot of times they cut together fake trailers. A lot of times they put together playlists. Like they use other films to reference, like this is the this is the, the style it's gonna be and this is the tone it's gonna be. And then it's basically who won the pitch. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like advertising, you know? And so that's how these guys, a lot of time, get these movies is, you know, some some of them not so much, like your Joe Johnsons and your Shane Blacks. I severely doubt they had to pitch anything. Oh, and I think sometimes 
uh, especially at this point in the Marvel universe, I think a lot of times too they kind of select someone or at right. least have someone that they'd like. Sure. Uh, like with Taika in Thor, mm-hmm. uh, I was listening to one of our favorite uh, sites for podcasts and things like that in The Ringer. The Ringer, yeah. And they did an interview with him and he was talking about how he was actually in Hawaii when Marvel reached out to him and asked him if he'd be interested in doing the movie. Right. Um, and said that they watched one of his previous films and, and thought he might be good for the direction that they want to take it. Right. So I think sometimes you find those people. But I bet you anything, he still had to put a pitch together. Oh, I'm together. sure. I'm He's sure. Like, they're not going to hand him $250 million and be like, Taika, we loved Hunt for the Wilder People. That movie cost you a dollar. Please make this gigantic movie. Like, there's, they definitely have to vet him. Sure. But you're right. Like, they'll just fucking reach out to him. But you had in phase one mm-hmm. with Marvel the directors that you had. And for people that don't know the different phases, phase one was Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, the first Avenger, and Marvel. The Avengers, so up the to Avengers. up to the Avengers movie, right? That was uh, phase one. Phase one. So the directors that you had was John Favreau twice, uh, Louis Let Let Letterier. I think he's, I think he's French Canadian. Sounds French. Uh, Kenneth Bragna and Joe Johnston yep. and Joss Whedon. So obviously Favreau wasn't as big as. He is now. No. Um, this had a big part of his success. Um, he did. I think the movie, I think honestly, the movie that got him this gig was like Zathura. Like seeing that he could make Z- something like Zathura, which is a legit like sci-fi action kids movie. Sure. Like that's the perfect tone for how, the foundation that yeah. we want to well, build and, I mean, even on. the route that they went with the casting with like Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. And, and the type of character that Iron Man is, mm-hmm. he kind of fit that with his kind of wise, wise ass comedy, you know, right. like that kind of stuff. Uh, so he fit. Um, and then you had, you know, some other safe calls like Joss Whedon to do Avengers. Joss, yeah, Joss was known, especially when you talk about the Avengers and bringing all of these characters together. One of Joss's greatest traits as a writer is being able to balance multiple characters but you even you mentioned the two biggest ones kenneth brana and joe johnston like kenneth brana is an academy award-winning filmmaker and mm-hmm. joe johnston has been in film all the way since star wars yep. like he directed the rocketeer he directed jurassic park 3 which isn't a great film but joe johnston directed some like he's directed some amazing amazing films uh, he fucking directed Jumanji, dude. Like, mm-hmm. Joe Johnson knows what he's... The Wolfman. He yep. knows what he's doing. And so I think you, I think you're, you're going along this route here, and I think you're right in that they really built the foundation in phase one with known talent, with yep. known quantities. Yeah, and then you work into phase two, which for people that don't know phase two, Iron Man 3, Thor Dark World, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, or Ultron and Mm Ant-Man. And they... And remember, Everyone but Joss Whedon was new to the franchise. Right. And remember that Ant-Man... They didn't bring Favreau for Iron Man 3. Right. They didn't... Yeah. And and even Ant-Man, even though it was directed by Peyton Reed, who was, you know, a fairly established director, but mostly a comedy director, remember that Ant-Man was originally going to be an Edgar Wright movie. Mm -hmm. And Edgar Wright, at the time, was... the the hot British indie darling. Mm-hmm. But you're right. They started taking chances. They started saying, we're going to start giving these a little bit more flavor. We're going to hire the Russo brothers. We're going to hire James Gunn, who has 
no business make, <laughs> making a Marvel movie. No. When you look at his previous filmography, um, even dipping into uh, the television world with like the, the Russo brothers and Alan Taylor, um, they started taking chances. Well, and I think the funny thing about that is, you know, James Gunn and the Russo brothers probably pr produced the two most successful of the Phase Two films, oh, in yeah. Guardians and uh, Winter Soldier. Most definitely. And but I also think you saw like they went to Game of Thrones, which was hot, and got a director from there uh, for Thor. Yep. And I don't know that it worked out real well, but like this is where they kind of started going. Right. Part of me thinks with Marvel, and I could be wrong. This is just my observations. Part of my my thoughts on their motivation for getting these indie directors that have never done these large films mm -hmm. is that the director probably goes into that movie knowing they need to play ball with whatever the studio wants. Certainly a part of it. Because you don't bring in Steven Spielberg and then expect to tell him what to do as no. far as how he's going to make the film. Right. Um, and some of these others. And I think that's led to even stepping outside of the Marvel Universe, like what happened with Han Solo. I mean, you brought in two guys that originally were relatively small with, I mean, they did Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. Right. They, 21 Jump Street is where they really got known. Right. With Phil, Phil Lord. Phil and, Lord and Chris Miller were kind of started getting a name for taking weird ideas and making them amazing. But you see what happened with them and even going back to um, our Fantastic Four, Josh Trank, mm -hmm. like, when these small directors don't want to play ball right. and want to keep their cre creative vision, right. it doesn't usually end very well. You gotta go. Yeah. And you, you know who go. we're gonna get? We're gonna get a veteran. We're gonna get somebody who can play ball. We're gonna bring in old Academy Award winner Ronnie Howard. We're gonna bring in uh, Happy Days. We're gonna bring in <laughs> fucking Chachi. Not, <laughs> not Chachi. I know that's not wasn't Ron Howard's <laughs> character's name, but kind of going along with that, Phase Three, which we are halfway through with Thor Ragnarok phase three, basically they said, fuck it. And they just went super weird, especially like they started with civil war where they were just civil war was essentially like, Hey, everybody, all of those, everything that you know is dead. We're doing everything different now. And then they got Scott Derrickson to direct Dr. Strange and Scott Derrickson's a horror director or he was known as a horror director. They got John Watts to direct Spider-Man Homecoming. And John Watts made one movie before it. He made Cop Car, which was about uh, two, two boys who stole a cop car from a corrupt cop, played by Kevin Bacon. That's a great little movie. But they saw that, that you know, he, he certainly has a touch with, with working with child actors, and that was what was needed for that film. And then you got, obviously, we brought in Taika Waititi. We brought in Ryan Coogler. We're bringing in even for going all the way to Captain Marvel, where they're bringing in Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck. Like, the, they directed Short Term Twelve. They directed, um, oh, it wasn't Short Term Twelve, was it? Uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Half Nelson, which you know, Half Nelson, Sugar, th those those guys, those two are pure, you know, true blue indie directors. I do think one thing's interesting in looking at it though is that they have decided, amongst what you've just pointed out with mm -hmm. all of them, they did decide, though, with exclusion of James Gunn, they did just kind of turn what they were doing. But they did decide what I would argue as the most important films mm -hmm. in Phase 3 to go to someone they trust right. in the Russo brothers. Right. Because Civil War was a huge one because this is the first one where we're trying to balance like 
14 characters mm-hmm. all at once. Mm-hmm. And then the next one that they're doing is Infinity War, where we're balancing like 47 characters at once. Yep. And then the last Avengers Which doesn't movie, even have a name. Which doesn't have a name, Untitled Avengers film. Right. Is at least at this point, and a lot can change between now and 2019. Right, is the Russo brothers again? Yep. So, Marvel's obviously very calculated in how they do that. Absolutely, hence why they have freaking four phases for movies. Um, and you know the other funny thing about all those Russo movies, they're all written by the same two guys too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Marvel as a studio and studios in general, they're gonna want to keep around people they trust. That's why. Disney's bringing J.J. back for episode nine. Mm-hmm. They got Trevorrow's out. J.J.'s back in because they can trust J.J. But the Russo brothers worked with Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely on all, every single one of their movies. Yep. And that's it, continuity is important. Well, and the crazy thing is by the end of this, after they do that Avengers film, Anthony and Joe Russo, who we said basically came from obscurity, yeah. are going to end up being – as a combo, two of the, from a box office standpoint, yep. two of the most successful directors of all time. Yep. And like, basically, it's just cashing Marvel checks. Yeah, literally, because they haven't, they didn't do anything. They, they, it's, it's amazing, you know, uh, what, what, what they're putting together and and what they're making, and I'm, I'm super excited for it. I'm super excited for the rest of it, and that kind of brings us to the main topic of the day, Thor Ragnarok. Now, I don't know if you remember when they first announced, because Marvel did this whole huge announcement, and they basically announced all of Phase 3. And then they made some adjustments. But the original, like, if you look up the original logo, quote-unquote, of Thor Ragnarok, um, it was not uh, all psychedelic. It was very serious. It was very, like, end-of-the-world kind of... Uh, you know, shattered text and all that. And that was when they first announced it and when they were first going to release it, which was going to be July of 2017 instead of November of 2017. Um, That was the original logo. And then things started changing. Like the Inhumans were going to have a movie. Now the Inhumans don't have a movie. Uh, we They got Spider-Man back. So now Spider-Man's going to have a movie and we're going to bump Thor to November. And then... They changed it. They made everything. That, you know, once they got Taika Waititi on board, and once he started putting together this vision, they started changing sort of what everything was going to look like. You got that very '80s retro, colorful logo and everything. So originally, this film, I personally think that this film was intended to be way more serious than it was sure. until they actually started putting. The well, I mean, together. I mean, you even look at okay, previous. The person who handled the previous Thor movie right. came from Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. which is about as dark and serious as it gets. Right. Um, well, that's and the person who handled the first one come, came from Shakespeare. Like yep. Branagh's background is in Shakespeare, so the first film, you, and you can even see it. The first film, yeah, is it's very, a Shakespeare movie. It's very <laughs> brother versus brother. I don't want the crown and blah blah blah. Yeah. Very Shakespearean. And then yeah. the second one is a lot more like battle, well, like grungy. Yep. You know, well, and I would I would argue too something that probably contributed not only to who they selected as the director, but the overall vision of this movie probably had something to do with the success of Guardians, because even if you look at the logos 
of Thor, uh, of this latest Thor, Ragnarok, and the Guardians. If we, if you look at the Guardians 2 mm-hmm. um, logo, they look very similar. It's There's true. Similar font, and they look very much alike from that standpoint. And, and Guardians was the first one of the Marvel movies, in my opinion, to really go what I would argue as a straight like comedy direction. Like Iron Man always had a good amount of comedy. All sure. the movies have had a good amount of comedy sure. in them. But none of them like it felt like a funny movie throughout. Right. Like Guardians did and now like Thor Ragnarok did. Well, I think more so than being funny, Marvel and Marvel kind of made a conscious decision that any movie that we're gonna set in the cosmos is gonna be weird as shit. Because that's what the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, like, they're weird as hell. Well, I got a big-ass talking tree. I got a talking raccoon. I got weird creatures and and whatnot. Same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Like, it got even weirder. Doubled down on the weirdness. And now with this, they're totally leaning into it. Because this movie's weird as hell, too. And, And they really are embracing that cosmic weird side of things and i think because of the guardians of the galaxy films it it works mm-hmm. it works with this this is this movie almost comes off as a parody of the other thor movies sure uh in a way because thor as a character um i don't think he's really changed all that much i think in his because when you first met thor he was this arrogant petulant basically broski um, who, I am the king, I will be king, I will smash them with my hammer. Yeah. And then he met other humans. He met Tony, the smart-ass Tony Stark. He met Nick Fury, like, and, and you can kind of see that, that I think Ragnarok is a really interesting evolution of Thor as a character because he still has that whole, like, I don't you know who I am? I am Thor, I am the greatest. But then, like, he's willing to get into, like, little quibbles with the hulk about about fire sure. like mm, i'm no i'm i'm fire too like eh. and, and it's those kinds of things sure. that i think really make the world such i mean he's infinitely more interesting now that he's got these these he's essentially been in four other films yeah well i i think what they've what they did to some point is when thor first came out chris hemsworth wasn't really Chris Hemsworth. He wasn't anybody. So he was he was first eight minutes of Star Trek. Yeah. And so I think now you now Chris Hemsworth is like Chris Hemsworth. Right. Like he's he's huge. Right. And I think when you have someone like that, if you're gonna keep going to that well with that person, then you need to allow them to expand a little bit and not be as by the book. And Chris Hemsworth if you see his other movies and and everything that he comes off as far as a, a person and a mm-hmm. character has that kind of funny He's a like, funny dude. Yeah, he's a funny dude. And so I feel like trying to keep him in that box of like you know, space god, you know, that dude and serious like ah right. I'm Thor Hammer, you know, is is missing an opportunity and also what led to maybe the thir- first two two Thors not being as memorable as, as some of the others. This one definitely, to me, when we saw it, read memorable yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of memorable stuff in this movie. Now, that kind of leads to my biggest concern going into this movie 
was because I read all the reviews and I, and everyone's like, this is the funniest Marvel movie and everybody's reviewing it and it's hot. It's getting great reviews and whatever. And my biggest concern was that it was going to lean far too heavily towards the comedy, that the comedy was essentially going to undercut the drama. Um, I'm going to give you a weird example. This is a this this is a weird example, but the Ninja Turtles remake. All right. <laughs> okay. I, I told you it's a weird example. Do you remember? Did you see? Did you ever see that remake? Yep. So do you remember at the end when they're holding on to the um, antenna and it's falling, mm-hmm. and they think they're gonna die, and Raphael is having this like emotional moment where he's telling his brothers like I love you guys and the reason I'm so angry is because I feel like I don't belong and the music is swelling and it's getting really emotional and then it just kind of cuts because it real they and they cut for a gag that. Oh, they're only two feet off the ground. Yeah. And I feel like that really ruined that moment. And I was sure. concerned that there was going to be shit like that in this movie. Fortunately, though, I don't think there was that. If there was some, I'm not going to lie. Like, there was a little bit. But I feel like they really balanced the goofy, weird ass improvisational comedy with the dramatic stakes that were, were at hand. Yeah. I, and I think they used the comedy in more of the character development than in the action sequences, right. which I think that keeps you from being like a full fledged comedy. Like if like people are cracking wise jokes, like in the middle of this epic battle where uh-huh. people are getting slaughtered, it kind of takes away like your care that people are getting slaughtered. Cause you're like the guy out there is joking. It's just you know, making like jokes, just standpoint. cracking jokes. Like, all right, it's a fun time. <laughs> Whereas, the the most of the jokes here are like after the battles happened and things like that. Like it's different. Like the jokes that go back and forth when it's Thor and and Hulk fighting because you know neither of them is gonna die here. Like right. there's not any real drama. You're more just anxious to see how the whole scene develops. Right. It's Who's like, gonna win? Yeah. But even then, like Thor makes references back. Like he references, and this isn't. We're not getting too heavy into spoilers here, but this isn't a spoiler. I don't feel like it's a spoiler where Thor keeps referencing the lullaby that Black Widow uses to put Hulk to sleep in the in the Age of Ultron. Yeah. It's funny not because it's a joke but because Thor has no like concept of how that lullaby works. He just remembers the words. Yeah. And so he's like the sun because is rising. The sun, sun's getting real low out there. Like he yeah. has no fucking clue. All he knows is like, oh, this is how to turn the Hulk off. Yeah. And it's that kind of situational comedy that I think works really 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 well. Um because it you know and, and it's all, you know, at Thor's expense where like um, you know, he's constantly getting shocked or everyone's like, oh, you're a big thunder god, huh? Oh, you can't do, you know, anything of anybody. Um, and I think it doesn't, and like I said, I think it is a, a really good evolution of the Thor character um, mm-hmm. because there are still serious stakes at hand. You know, he crash lands on this planet, which is weird as hell, which is run by Jeff Goldblum, who is amazing in this film this is like literally the most gold bloom i've ever seen gold bloom i think ever he's, and full, he's a full gold bloom in this full 100 percent gold bloom in this movie and it's crazy um but ultimately his goal is i have to get back home because literally asgard could be destroyed that's some serious shit and i like i said i'm really glad that they managed to balance the comedy and the drama for the most part um, I feel like where they uh, 
where they didn't do that well in was in the villains department. Um, despite the fact that Kate Blanchett is great in the film, Kate Blanchett is great. Sure. I and I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out here. All right, Kate Blanchett and her dark hair and her dark outfit did it for me. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know what happened. But there were a few moments where I was like, hmm. Kate Blanchett well, is smoking hot right now. And I'm like, what's happening? She's not, murdering everybody. Not not to take away from your red-blooded American Red-blooded straight American male here. Um, can I just make an observation? Please. It is crazy. More than any of the other Marvel-like storylines, Captain America, Iron Man, etc., it's crazy how many big names they've gotten to be a part of the Thor movies. Yeah. We've had Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. We've had Rene Russo. Uh, Rene Russo. We have Idris Elba. Idris in Elba. In like, even though, even though like you can't the... even recognize that it's Idris Elba, except for everybody knows what Idris Elba sounds like. Right. So when he opens his mouth, you know exactly And he's like the is. eighth guy in this movie. They got Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman was in it. They yep. got Christopher Eccleston. They got Goldblum. Now we've got uh, Carl Urban. Carl Urban, Tessa Thompson. Like they're not Oscar-winning Kate Blanchett. Like, yes, it's crazy how many big names for what would most people would regard, you know, outside of maybe like Ant Man as like low on the totem pole <laughs> movie of, of, of the, the Marvel ones. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. And that's one of the reasons I feel like and, and we'll get into this a little bit more in spoilers, but I feel like there's there's gotta be more for Blanchett in the future because I felt like her villain literally spent the entire film just like like, okay, I'm gonna kick Thor's ass and then I'm gonna rule Asgard. But instead she spends the whole time like putzing around, for lack of a better word. Um, and, and I just didn't feel like that villain was uh, like, she had interesting parts and Kate Blanchett crushed it. Like she was super interesting, but like her plan or the execution or whatever it was, I was just, I was just kind of like, eh. yeah, I, I was kind of underwhelmed in that respect, you know? And, and that was, if I had any beef with this movie and I love this movie and we'll, we'll kind of wrap up our thoughts without spoilers on, on what we thought of the movie. Yes. But, uh, for me, if there was anything that was weak, it was like the actual climax of the movie. Like, right. um, it was, it delivered absolutely on the action sequences. Like there was some fantastic fight sequences in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it was kind of meh of like, her taking over it and then right. the way that she goes out right. and all of that. If she goes out. If she goes, if she's truly gone, you know, those types of things. Um, so it was kind of, it was kind of interesting to see. I mean, everything else was just so great that like that just seemed to fall a little bit short, which you thought would be the opposite of the case when you get Kate Blanchett playing the role. And again, right. it had nothing to do with her acting and her performance no. and everything to do with the way that they used her from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, um, but overall, for me, this film. Before we get into spoilers, it's it was awesome. It's one of my favorites of, of this year. I think uh, I would put it above. Um, I would put it right on tier with Spider Man, maybe just below as far as Marvel movies that came out this year. All right. Um, but I I loved it. I encourage people to see it. 
Yeah, I likewise. Like, you should definitely go see it. It's not a perfect popcorn for me. It's a movie theater popcorn for me. It's really, really, really good. It's really fucking funny. The action is is pretty good, but but it's it, the character work and, and the, the comedy and the production design and the colors and all that stuff, like... It's if listen, if you're not in on Marvel by now, you're not gonna go see this fucking movie. But if you're in on Marvel, go see that. Go go get get off your feet. Get get on your feet. Go see the movie. Go see it in the theaters because it's big, it's loud, it's beautiful, and it's a lot of fun. Yep. So now we get to talk spoilers a little bit. Um, kind of just going into kind of talking about what our favorite parts of the actual film were. And I wanna go again, I wanna go back to and I hate to do this, but I want to start with some of the things that I didn't really like that much. Like, you know, Kate Blanchett. Like, she spends the whole time just like, I want to find this fucking sword. And, like, that's it? Like, that's you're the goddess of death, and you can't find a goddamn sword? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I just, I was turned off by that. Um, but I was also, I uh, was also turned off by, um, I felt the moments with Odin were good. But I felt like they should have had, like, if we're saying goodbye to Odin, like, then we should have more emotion behind that. Well, and, and you you brought something up because we sat and talked for a while right. after with uh, another friend of the podcast, Dallas Nichols. Good movie buddy, Dallas Nichols. And um, we talked a little bit about it because his one of his disappointments was the setting that they put. Like, right. he was supposedly in Norway, which we had a little plug for Doctor Strange connecting yeah. him into this, which... The movie could have done without. I didn't not like it. It was right. a humor. But it, it was, was a so funny short, scene in it that was... it wasn't necessary. Like you could have gotten them to Odin another way. But sure. whatever. Like I'm I'm happy they continue to connect the Marvel universe together. But he was in Norway. But if you didn't tell me he was in Norway, like I would have had no idea he was in Norway. No. It just looked like random grassy field on a cliff. Yeah, he's um, literally uh, that cliff could be anywhere. So from that standpoint, I, I would I would agree from that standpoint uh, that that was a little weak like, yeah. for such a big character. Um, and this was a big storyline, though, that was kind of underwhelming the way that they resolved it. Because remind us on the last movie. Right. Well, that's the big I mean, that's the other thing is my other big criticism with this movie is it, 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 it's so preoccupied with getting to the fun shit that it feels like it really just brushes off all the dangling threads that were left, which is kind of the problem you run into when everything is connected, you know? But in the last film, there were all these dangling plot threads. They were like, well, I got to find these Infinity Stones, and Loki is on the throne, and we don't know what happened to Odin, and all of these things. And literally, within the first 20 minutes of the movie, maybe 30, let's say 30, within the thirty minutes, first 30 minutes of the movie, they're like, ah, Infinity Stones, couldn't find them, fuck it. And oh, Odin, oh, oh, Thor figures Loki figures out that Loki is Odin like that. Once uh, the demon tells him that Odin's not on uh, Asgard, and then they just find Odin, and Odin's like, "Oh, I'm dying. Uh, my boys, uh, Hela, tell them all about Hela." Odin dies, and literally, like, Odin's gone for a second, and then Hela shows up and just is like, "All right, we're into it now." Which is, again, not a necessarily a bad thing to just get right into the story of kicking Thor out and kicking Loki out and having them on this weird-ass planet. But it just felt like they just pushed everything that had come before just like, oh, yeah, 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 well, yeah, well yeah, that does stuff, you know, okay, this thing happened, this thing happened, we're moving on. Well, and, and you, you told me, too, this, I didn't know this until you mentioned it, that 
that whole thing with Odin was actually reshot. Yes. It was originally shot in a New York alleyway. Um, and there are set pictures of Odin dressed like a lunatic looking bum, like a crazy old bum. And when they did, when they saw it and when they, when they actually put it in the film and when they screened it, it didn't have that emotional heft that they wanted it to. And you can kind of tell that by chain. And when you know that, then you can kind of see why they, they instead, they put it on this cliff because there is a little bit more of a, it's a serene cliff. It's meant to be peaceful. It's meant to be, you know. Uh, uh, kind of a tribute to the old ways, old gods, if you will, and whatnot. Sure. But, but yeah, they that was. I feel like that was probably one of the last things they wanted to put in the film. Um, and it kind of feels like it. it kind of feels like when you write a twenty-five page syllabus and then you just go back in and you throw a paragraph back on page three. Like well, that paragraph feels kind of like it got thrown in there. Well, and I think it it kind of felt like we just decided to take Thor in a different direction, which they did. Um, and you felt it a sure. lot. And and I think that's where you felt it was in the resolving of all those unanswered questions. Because when the last film e- ended, like you mentioned, you felt like the next one was going to have these were going to be the major storylines. Right. Was the Infinity Stones. Where's Odin? Those types Loki's of things. Loki's back at it again. Loki's and... back. And instead of those being the storylines, and Loki's a very big part of this movie, yeah. obviously, but it's not like... That's the drama. Like the drama isn't Thor and Loki, which no. is good. We've already had that movie, but like all Twice. of that, all of that was resolved in like the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Right. Which you know, like you said, is fine. We're going a different direction. We resolve it that way. Sure. But at the same time, which again, it's not to say that this isn't a funny, like good movie. This movie is fucking hilarious. Uh, I I love. I mean, pretty much anything that the Hulk does. I loved in this movie. Like, um, I love the fact that they made Hulk like basically a five-year-old, or probably less than a five-year-old, probably like a three-year-old. <laughs> with his like, he has like three, like a three-year-old's dialogue, where like that part where he jumps at the demon and the demon just kind of swats him away, and Hulk, Thor is like, "You're an idiot," and Hulk is just like, "Giant monster." Like, that's my excuse. I have two words to tell you why I did this. <laughs> Giant monster. Um, I love... The Hulk was fucking great in this movie. Um, again, they they did more for... By having him be the Hulk for two years and having that dialogue. Like, remember when he was telling him to go? Yeah. He's like, go, go, fine, go. And then he runs into the wall uh, the laser field, and then he's just laughing, like, yeah. <laughs> go again. It's like, that shit's great. Their, their repertoire, back and forth, is fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, that was that was one of the funnier parts of the movie. My favorite part or gag or character is definitely Korg, which is played by <sighs> the director. Played by the director, Taika Waititi. It's a, I guess, rock Giant rock monster. Monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was hilarious. And maybe so it's because I love, I was a huge fan of Flight of the Concords. Maybe. And he was a big part of that. And maybe I just like New Zealand people and think they're funny. <laughs> Their humor. Um, but he talked about, when I was listening to that interview, he talked about like how he enjoyed how much Marvel let him put his comedy into the movie. And I think it was a right call by Marvel, like in hindsight, when you watch the movie, because some of that stuff was just hilarious. Like, yeah. the first thing you get from Korg is a rock, paper, scissors joke. Right. Uh, him obviously being the rock and his little 
But like, I'm a rock. I won't hurt you unless you scissors. Uh, and then he just says he's like, it's a little rock paper scissors joke for you. <laughs> like, but that's New England, New, New England. That's New Zealand humor in general. You see a lot of that in New Zealand humor. Speaking as two Americans who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, just as people who've seen New Zealand comedies, like that feels like it's a lot of that. Oh yeah, and Korg is great, and, and I'm excited. And, he's and still even around. and even in the end when they had the big scene, and this was one where like <laughs> it could have been like taken as taking away from the drama but uh-huh. like the drama was behind us at this point so i don't mind us kind of spoiling that right because uh, it kind of kept in line with the tone of the whole movie where he's like he's dead oh this but is I've meek been... oh meek is dead oh I've yeah i stepped on him and oh, then wait, he wakes no, he's up not dead. <laughs> oh he's not dead meek oh meek is back hey like yeah and i thought it was really funny because like that's kind of like the old Polyn- like polynesian warriors um and and new zealand warriors where there are these big dudes who are soft-spoken and have high-pitched voices, but they're fucking tough as nails. And I thought Korg was a play on that, and I really liked yeah. that. Um, the other thing that I really liked was I did enjoy the... I, I actually really enjoyed the last action sequence. Yeah. I really liked... Um, you never really saw Thor go full lightning god until now. Like In the first Avengers, he uses the lightning to, to light up all the aliens that are coming in and stuff. But in this movie, he loses his hammer, and uh, <laughs> Odin makes a joke. What are you, the god? Of, would you think you're the god of hammers? <laughs> like, no. And so then he comes down, and he's got the glowing eyes, and he's got the lightning raining down around him, and that just looked badass. Oh, yeah. And, and when he lost his eye... Which they did a great job. There wasn't a whole lot of talk of that leading no. up to the meeting. I mean, I'm sure you knew because you read spoiler sites. Well, I did, but but I also like they didn't they didn't show it in any of the trailers. They didn't even show it in the Comic Con footage that Thor mm-hmm. showed up in. That's a pretty good job. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty good job. Um, but he just looked like a badass. Like he's just like channeling the lightning through him and having the lightning strike all around him and whatnot. I was into that. I just thought, visually speaking, it was really cool. They did a great job, like making these characters look great. Cause, cause Thor in his once he had like his armor on and Hulk's armor and Valkyrie looked great. Everybody looked a, like a yep. million bucks. Even Scourge, even Carl Urban, who I felt was an interesting character that got very very shortchanged, looked like a badass. He had a very unique look to him. Yeah, he kind of fell into line with some of the probably the biggest issue you and I had in general that we've already talked about, he fell in line with Kate Blanchett in that we didn't really give a whole lot of depth right. to the kind of bad guys in this movie. Right. And and while he was that bad guy with the conflicting, you know, conflicted whether to go with uh-huh. not really his people but the people he was with before or her, you know, he kind of played that henchman role, reluctant henchman role. Right. Um, but they, they tried to feed some to his character. Yeah. And I felt like they needed to either go full in to his character and give him a little bit more depth or just say, screw it. We're just going to play him as the classic henchman. Right, right, right. Well, and I felt by the end, uh, I actually liked it at the end. Like, I felt like he did a really good job with all that. I felt his twist where he does turn good at the end, which I don't know if you know this. That's literally almost parallel from the comic books, except instead of escaping Asgard, they're escaping hell. Like lit, sure. literal uh, Dutch 
or Norwegian hell or, or whatever the version of hell is sure. in the comic books. And he does the same thing where he turns and he has his two M16s double wielding him, shooting down everybody, and then he gets taken out. So that like I appreciate that as well. I appreciate that they keep these things very close to the comic books, even though I didn't read that. Like I'm the type of nerd who the second they're like such and such is playing this character, I look up everything I can sure. about that character. You know, um, but yeah, man, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I'm really really excited to see where the Marvel universe goes after Black Panther. We'll do a state of Marvel after Black Panther. Well, by then we'll have the Infinity War trailer for sure, and then we can start making our, our Deadpool bets. Not on the not on the actual character Deadpool, but we'll we'll build a, a Deadpool for who we think is going to make it out of Infinity War alive or not. Well, and and I think it'll be fun to kind of make guesses and prognostications because now that you've had all these movies, there's all these bit characters like a Korg. Yep. Like, if he's super popular from this movie, do you give him a bit part in Infinity War? Like, do oh, you I'm find sure a way to, a to work them in? You know, yeah. you saw the reaction to people to certain characters in Guardians. Like, right? how do you include the Guardians without giving, you know, I don't know that they thought Groot would be as popular as Groot's been. So, like, maybe he's going to get more time than you would have originally planned. Like, mm -hmm. probably most of the time for Guardians was going to be given to Star-Lord, you know, from that standpoint. So it'll be interesting how they put that all together. I wouldn't want that, you know, as much as I, I mean, to me, I don't understand how Infinity War is not going to be like 17 hours <laughs> to be able to. It's going to be long, bro. Like, make no mistake about it. It is going to be long for sure. But we did get a little uh, post credit sequence That's showing true. us a little teaser towards Infinity War. Yep, we, we got one with Goldblum. Thanos. Which, we got one with Goldblum, which actually sort of mirrored, because Goldblum's character is Benicio's uh, brother. Mm -hmm. um, the Grandmaster and the Collector are brothers. And remember, Benicio's post-credit sequence was like, after he got his shop wrecked, like he's just like, fine, I'm having a drink, I'm relaxing. And Goldblum's character, this is after they revolted against him, and he shows up and he does this little, ah, great job, everybody, we'll call it a tie. Yeah. But you're but you're right, where at the, at the other post-credit sequence was way more of a teaser than the other one, I think any of the other ones mm -hmm. were. Because it's the Asgardians in their ship, and eh, I'm sure we'll be fine. And then they show up in front of this big fuck you spaceship, yeah. which is Thanos's second. They call it the Sanctuary Two, because the first Sanctuary is that um, like asteroid he was chilling on. Yep. Um, so it's definitely coming. It is definitely coming for sure. Very excited about it. We're excited. I'm excited that they're bringing on more indie directors and, and whatnot. Like do it. I'm all for it. Especially if you're like Marvel and you let their personality shine out. I'm all for it. Yeah. So last question for you. All right. Who would you like to see be the next indie director to get picked or who do you if you had to guess who would be the next one Ooh. any uh any guesses well that's a hard question to answer because like indie directors by nature are unknown so sure. so it, it's hard but but there are uh, uh, there are a handful that that are making indie films right now um like it's jordan peele from key and peele like made get out um and now they're talking about like he's gonna redo the twilight zone like that's super interesting to me i'm into it um, or Alex Garland. Uh, Alex Garland was a producer and a screenwriter. He did work on 28 Days Later, 28 Weeks Later. He co-wrote uh, Dread, 
okay. the, the Judge Dredd movie, and then he made Ex Machina, and now he's making another movie called Annihilation. I'm super excited about that. Indie sci-fi is probably some of uh, my favorite independent film, um, mostly because all other independent film is like slice of life bullshit that I'm tired of. Um, and the Florida then, Project. What? The Florida Project. Whatever. Like I'm not. I don't want to name names, but yeah. Um, and then you have like Barry Jenkins and Moonlight. Obviously, Homeboy's going to parlay that into something big. And then um, uh, Nacho, Nacho Vigalando, um, who's kind of like. Uh, a lunatic? I, I don't know how other... T he's like Guillermo del Toro, if Guillermo del Toro was a little bit more sociopathic. <laughs> like, he made some... V. He was in, He did, like, a part for ABC's A Death. He did a part for VHS Viral. Um, and then he just did Colossal with Anne Hathaway, which is really, really good. Um, so there's a lot of up-and-coming talent that, that if the studios want them, you know, or the studios reach out to them, I'm sure it'll happen. Um... We'll just have to wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see. But uh, until then, that is going to do it for this episode of the Popcorn Diet. As always, do us a favor. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at the Popcorn Diet. You can also visit us on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com, where you can find episodes, reviews, and articles. And then, of course, share us, like, rate, subscribe on wherever you're listening to podcasts. That helps us. That helps us spread the community, get more good movie buddies to be a part of it. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, that is going to do it for us. I am your very best movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we're going to see you next time with another good movie on a popcorn diet. Adios. <laughs>